As we continue to worship church, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2 this morning. Weren't you so blessed by our choir and our instrumentalists? Will you stop and will you join me in thanking them for leading us so beautifully? Oh, it's so good. It's so stirring. It's so good to see them shoulder to shoulder. And as we've come through these 15 months of COVID, to be able to see our music ministry just lead us so faithfully then and now. And we're so grateful for uh, John and his faithful leadership and our choir and instrumentalists for leading us. We are in the final sermon Sunday or sermon series or final Sunday of the sermon series, excuse me, where we're walking through the will of God. We're thinking about how we walk in the will of God. And we started on this journey in the 23rd Psalm with just the, the wonderful reminder that we have a shepherd who loves us and desires to guide us. Then the question was, well, if we have a shepherd that loves to loves us and desires to guide us, then will we trust him? We will acknowledge him in all of our ways in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Last Sunday, we were reminded that he speaks to us in the revelation that we know is his word. Psalm 119 guided us in that in the longest chapter in all of the Psalter, the longest chapter in all of the Bible that just relishes in the guidance of God's word for your life and my life. Well, then the question is, as we think of the way that God desires to guide us in prayer and in the word, there are times where all of us as followers of Jesus have opened our Bible and we have little decisions and we have monumental decisions to make. And you cannot turn to Philippians chapter four and it tells you whether or not to buy in this city or not this city, right? Uh, you can't really turn to Philippians chapter one and it tells you the specificity of should I go to this college or that college? You can't turn to Philippians chapter 2 and it, and it tell you with that specificity, should I take this job in my hometown or should I take this job in this town? And so for all of these questions that are little questions sometimes in our life, in the daily details of our life, and there are also times fork in the road monumental decisions, how do we walk in confidence that the decisions that we're making are in the will of God? How do we walk in His way? Now, the answer to that question is summed up in this one word that we call wisdom. And that word wisdom gets used in a lot of ways and it gets blamed for a lot of things. And it's many misconceptions about wisdom. I'm always reminded with a word like this of that, of that line in The Princess Bride. You keep using that word, but I do not think it means what you think it means. There are sometimes where we think the word wisdom means an accumulation of age, accumulation of years. And certainly that can be the case, that a person with age and with years can, can be a wise person, but you can, even in, uh, with age and even with years, make foolish decisions. You're not immune to that. Sometimes we use the word wisdom and we think of it as, a, as an amassing of an education, that the more degrees that you have, the more wise that you are. But we all know that, that education and learning are not the same thing. You can be educated but still be foolish in life. You can be an expert in a field and foolish in, in areas that matter the most in your life. This is true and we know it to be true. It's difficult sometimes to pin down a word as, as, as simple as wisdom but yet seem to be so un, unattainable at times to be able to define exactly what we're talking about. 
I remember vividly as a student pastor decades ago, walking through the book of Proverbs one summer, and we started in our youth room. We had teenagers in there, and we're walking through Proverbs. And I said, hey, uh, when, when, when you think of wisdom, who comes to mind? That was a simple question. Just blank stares all across uh, our students. So when, when you think of wisdom, uh, who, who personifies wisdom? Maybe, maybe utilizing the word personified. Maybe that got the blank stares there. So, but, but I remember just no answers to the question whatsoever until uh, I, Frankie was on the back row. Frankie's a big football player. And he said, oh, David, I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, Master Yoda from Star Wars. That's who you're talking about right there. And it was like all these amens went off in the student ministry. And they're like, oh, yeah, we know what you're talking about right now. Yoda from Star Wars. That's what wisdom uh, personified there. And so we have to sort of unlearn what we've learned, right? We have to think carefully, who is a wise person? What is wisdom? Proverbs chapter 2 answers clearly for us the nature of wisdom And it's not left to our perceptions. It's not left to our observations. It's not left to fictional characters in a galaxy far, far away. But it is defined for us right here in God's Word, starting in verse 1, moving to verse 6 of Proverbs 2. My son, Solomon writes, If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to it, to understanding Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. What is wisdom? Verse 5 helps us to see how, how Solomon would define wisdom. Wisdom is understanding the fear of the Lord and finding the knowledge of God for your life and my life. Wisdom is not only knowing God and reverencing God and having an all for God, but it is doing as he commands in your everyday life. It's not first and foremost an accumulation of years. It's not first and foremost an accumulation of degrees. Wisdom, first and foremost, is taking the knowledge of God and applying it to your life in a way that honors God. Wisdom is the application of his word played out in the daily living of your life and my life. How how do we attain this wisdom? How how do we walk in the way of wisdom? We might be able to define wisdom, but how do we walk in wisdom? And again, Proverbs 2 is our guide here. We walk in wisdom. According to Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, in three ways you see them defined for you in the passage here. Uh, You see first that Solomon calls us to treasure up my commandments with you, verse 1. You see secondly that that we're called to make our ears attentive to wisdom, verse 2. And finally, verse 3, we're called to call out for insight. I've been really helped by uh, Kevin D. Young in his book, Just Do Something. He pointed me years ago to Proverbs chapter 2 and even the broad outline of being able to look at this and to see the way of walking in wisdom. I love the subtitle. You see it there before you. Just do something, a liberating approach to finding God's will or how to make a decision without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, etc. That's what we want to give our hearts to. 
How do we walk in the way of wisdom? Well, to do that, I want to take what Solomon says, and I just want to rephrase it in a way that we can follow it and understand it and maybe grasp it, not only in our minds, but in our hearts here. So, So we want to walk in the way of wisdom by seeking his way through his word. Again, Proverbs 2, verse 1. We walk in the way of wisdom by seeking his way through prayer, verse 3. And finally, we walk in the way of wisdom by seeking his way through community, verse 2. Let's take each of those in succession and let's expound upon them and ask God to help us walk in the way of wisdom. First, let's seek his way through his word. Verse 1, again, be reminded of what Solomon says. Receive my words, he says. Treasure up my commandments with you. Now, again, the words that Solomon talks about here are the words that he's passing down of the first five books of the Bible here. The commandments that he's talking about here are the, are the commandments of the Lord that he has internalized, and now he's passing the baton to his son. It's a handoff. It's a handoff from one generation to the next generation, and you know that that can be a precarious handoff, can it not? We want to pass down the words of God, of obedience to the word of God and to submit to the word of God. And we want to pass that down from one generation to the next generation. And Solomon says, be a person that walks in wisdom. And we do that by not only being knowers of the word of God, but doers of the word of God. I love the way that Paul, sort of like a a passage that's in conversation with Proverbs chapter 2, you can, in the margin of your Bible, by verse 1, you can write there in the margin, Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, that says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, you see it on the screen there, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That living sacrifice is holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I know of no passage that that is more clarifying in the New Testament than what Paul is saying about how you walk in the will of God. It is not ethereal, it's not mysterious, it is not God speaking to you in the clouds or through a voice, but it is you, it is you offering your body to him, your everyday life. You offer it to him as a spiritual act of worship. You stop being, in the original language of the New Testament, verse 2 is an imperative, it's a command. Stop! Our, our natural default is to be molded as Plato, conformed into the image of the world. Paul says, stop being conformed to the image of the world. Be renewed, be transformed, Paul says, by the renewal of your mind. What is the avenue of transformation? It is the word of God that we ingest, that we live in, we submit to, and it changes us. There's a sense in which when we are in proximity to the word of God, it changes the way that we think, it changes the way we act, it changes the way that we look. That's all we can say. In the broadest terms, the will of God for your life, the will of God for my life, is the transformation of you and me to look more like Jesus. The will of God for you and the will of God for me in the broadest sense in which we say it is, is that you would talk more like Jesus, you would look more like Jesus, you would act more like Jesus in your family, in your work, in your neighborhood. That, that's, that's where we're headed. 
That's the, that's the design that we're conformed into the image of God's Son. This is the will of God. I love the way the, the, the lead singer, Bono, for you 2 he would talk about this transformation. And I think he says it really well here. Your nature, my nature, our nature is a hard thing to change. The flesh, it holds on. We crucify the flesh and it's resurrected the next morning with the decisions that we make. Uh, we, we can crucify the flesh and those sinful habits and it's resurrected the next week and it, and it entangles us again. It's a, it's a hard thing to change. It takes time, he says. The spiritual life is the slow reworking and rebooting the computer. The computer of your life and my life at regular intervals. It is reading the small print of the service manual, the, the word of God here. It is slowly, he said, rebuilt me in a better image. It's taken years though. And it is not over yet. Do you know that? That he is still working on you. That that husband, that wife that you're married to, that son or that daughter, that father, that mother, that, that they're a work in progress. He is still working on me to make me what I ought to be. You remember that old song? I can't say the words. They don't have it. My, my wife used to sing that to Hayden, Luke, and Jonathan when she would, she would rock them to sleep at night. He's still working own me, to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How lovely and patient he must be. He's still working on me. When Luke, my middle son, was two years old, he got in trouble. I don't remember exactly what he did, but Danielle sent him to his room he had to stay there. He was in timeout. He was crying. He was upset. He got really silent. She walked past his room and he was singing, He's still working on me <laughs> to make me what he. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, now, I'm distracted here by my own songs here. But do you see what God is doing here? He's still working on us, He's still shaping us. Praise God that no one in this sanctuary is a finished product yet. That his grace is still shaping us and molding us. John Stott, the great pastor, Anglican pastor at All Souls Church in London, he goes to India and he meets this young girl who was raised in a devout Hindu family. She had come into contact with Christians for the first time in her life and Stott overheard a conversation where somebody asked her one day, what do you think a Christian, what's a Christian? Who's a Christian? And she thought for a few moments and she answered it this way. Well, as far as I can see, a Christian is someone who is different from everybody else. He's still working on you and me to shape us and to mold us and to make us look more like Jesus, which, which looks different than the world, talks different than the world, is shaped different than the world. The values are different than the world. I pray this would be true in your life and in my life. I pray this would be our aspiration that God would shape us and mold us and that we would be reminded that he's still working on you and me through his word. So we walk in his way by seeking him through his word. We walk in his way by seeking him in prayer. Verse 3. Look again with me in Proverbs 2. Call out for insight, he says. Raise your voices for understanding. 
Verse 6 of Proverbs 2, For the Lord gives wisdom from the mouth come knowledge and understanding. Again, in the margin of your Bible in Proverbs chapter 2, you could write by verse 3, James chapter 1, verse 5. How do we as Christians receive the wisdom to make the daily decisions that we need to make at work, at home, at school? How do we have a confidence that we're walking in his will and his way? Well, we have not that confidence often because we ask not for it. We have not his guidance, not because he desires to cloak himself in this, in this mysterious darkness so that we have to fumble through the darkness to figure out where he's leading us. No, oftentimes we have not the guidance of the Lord because we do not pause to bend our knee to ask him for guidance. I love the way James would say in verse 5 of James chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. We have a God who desires to guide us. We have a God who desires to lead us. We have a God who desires to to turn open uh, the, the windows and let the light shine in so that we can ascertain what should we do now in this moment to honor you and to praise you and to be faithful to you. He doesn't want us to fumble around. He wants to give us light to be able to to show us what we should do, the wisdom that we need to make the decisions that we're making. Uh, Many of you are are, are familiar with the phrase that was really popular about 20 years ago. You had the bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? It it was based upon a a, a wonderful book about 100 years ago, Charles Shelton, In His Steps. You remember that book, In His Steps? And it was just asking the question that one way to be guided by how we should live our life was to be able to say, what would Jesus do in this situation? And it is It is better to ask that question than to not ask any kind of question. Don't misunderstand me here. But the 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 longer I sat with that question, the more I realized that, that maybe that's not the best way for us to receive guidance for the everyday living of our life, to ask what would Jesus do here? Because you know what would Jesus would do? Well, he would walk on water. You can't do that. What would Jesus do? He would, turn, he would turn water into wine. That's what the infinite Son of God would do. What would Jesus do? He would heal the paralytic. That's what Jesus would do. What would Jesus do? He would forgive the sinner his sins. That's what Jesus would do because he was the infinite Son of God, fully God, fully man. I think a better question for you and me, for us to be able to ask for the living of our days, isn't what would Jesus do in this situation, but it's Jesus, what should I do in this situation? Jesus, what what should I do in this relationship that is broken here? Jesus, what should I do in the difficult decision that must be made at work? And I can't turn to the word of God and it tells me exactly how I should live and how I should act here in this workplace. But Jesus, I need your wisdom. Oh, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Every hour, I need you. John chapter 15, verse 5 reminds us that apart from him, we can do some things, no. We can do a couple of things, no. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But I think we test. We test John 15. As followers of Jesus, so often we're tempted to see just how much we can do in our own strength and in our own wisdom. And in these moments, we bend our knee before him asking, God, what should I do? to glorify you in this family situation, in this work situation, in this neighborhood situation here. Give me your guidance. So we seek him 
through his word. We seek him in prayer, but that's not the totality of what Solomon says to his son here and what the word of God would say to us this morning, that we also walk in his way by seeking his way in community. Verse 2, again, look with me. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Well, somebody here should raise their hand and say, Solomon, I need some more guidance. How how do I make my ear attentive to wisdom? How do I incline my heart to understanding here? And Solomon says, I'm so glad you asked. And all throughout the book of Proverbs, we have this theme that continues that is not only a theme of being word-saturated men and women, not only being people that are on our knees asking for his wisdom in prayer, but we're surrounded by wise counsel. Notice the refrain in just three passages in Proverbs chapter 11, 15, and 24. You'll see them on your screen. Help me read them here in just a second. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of, will you say that? An abundance of? counselors there is safety proverbs 15 22 without counsel plans fail but with many advisors they help me succeed proverbs 24 6 for by wise guidance you can wage your war and an abundance of counselors there is victory Do you see the theme that emerges here as we walk in wisdom? That is a posture of community. Uh, To walk in wisdom is never to be isolated. The, the, The foolish path is the path of the Lone Ranger. The foolish path is you isolated. COVID has has stretched us in many ways, and one way that Satan would want to use this is to separate us and to think that you're an island and I'm an island, and my Bible and your Bible alone in prayer is enough. Well, we need the community of God to help refine us and to shape us. God uses the community to help us discern his will for us. You remember back in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, test and approve his will? Well, how do we test and approve? One way is just this simple. You have a godly friend or godly friends who love you and know you. And in the little things of life or in the difficult decisions that are monumental, you seek wise counsel and you say, hey, can you help me think through this? Can, can you help me pray through this? Not only in the big monumental decisions of life, but also in the, in the daily living of life, we need to be open to people to speak truth into our lives and to see things that we in our flesh have blinders to. We need to be open to this. You remember the great uh, 20th century theologians named Simon and Garfunkel? Do you know who I'm talking about? Paul Simon, Art Garfunkel. Well, they had in 1960s, they had this wonderful song that is so prophetic in so many ways to the day that we live in. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I'm shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one, and no one touches me. I am a rock. I'm an island. I touch no one, and no one touches me. You you don't need everyone to know everything about you, but you need someone who is praying for you specifically and who is walking with you as you seek to honor the Lord in the daily decisions of your life and in the monumental crossroads of your life. No man is an island. You by yourself isn't enough. Who knows you? 
Who are you open to? Who are you seeking wise counsel from? It very well may be that that you need to begin this process of of praying, God, allow me to see those men and women who who can invest in me and who I can can call and say, hey, can I grab lunch with you? Can we talk through some things here? We need those men and women in our life, and we thank God for them. And there is no better place to find those than the avenue of a church family. No better place to find those men and women than the avenue of a a life group to be able to to find those people that we pray about and God gives us a a sense of relationship with and we just take that step out and we reach out to them and say, hey, I'll buy you coffee, I'll buy you lunch, can we talk through some things? And it is amazing how God uses those conversations over the years to shape, mold, direct, and guide. Testing and approving God's will his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when you come to the little decisions of life, we have to ask three questions based upon this passage. When you come to the fork in the roads of life, those big monumental decisions, we ask three questions. We sum it up this way. Will this, number one, will this decision be in contradiction to the clear teaching of God's word? There there are some decisions that are clearly in direct contradiction to the word of God. But for many decisions, we go to another question. Have I prayed? Have I prayed asking God for guidance in this business opportunity, in this move, in, 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 in trying to, to navigate this, this next step in my life? Have I prayed asking God for guidance? Have I sought the word of God? And finally, have I sought godly insight from brothers and sisters who know me and love me. The word of God, prayer, and the community of God. And then what do you do? Well, you've got to make the decision. And this is the great thing about walking in the will of God, walking in the way of God, that we do not have to be paralyzed with this over-analysis of all the potentials before us. God, when we seek him, he desires to lead us and to test and approve his will can be as practical as you analyzing the decision with the information that you have before you. Thinking yourself, writing yourself clear as you pull out a sheet of paper and and you do something as tangible as saying, here are the pros, here are the cons, seeking your spouse and clarity and prayer with with, uh, uh, your husband or your wife, uh, taking that list and saying, here's what I thought, what am I missing here? And to be able to analyze the details of the decision here and you're calculating your capacity, your limitations, you're praying, God, if this is not your will, hey, just, just close this door. And if it is your will, then open this door. And then being open to see that even that prayer, God might, he, it might turn on its head there. And, 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 he, and he might move in a direction here that you just need someone else to be able to give guidance to. And then what do you do? You just take the next step. You take the next step with the light that God has given you for the step to make. And, and this is the power of just walking in his will. None of, this, none of us here do this perfectly. Of course we don't. We're fallen, feeble humans with our frailty. But God has promised to us that he is not a sadistic maze creator that finds great pride in us getting lost in life. He desires to lead you and he desires to lead me. He desires to lead us. And one of the things to be able to do if you're a follower of Jesus 
is to be able to just look back over your life and see how he has been faithful to lead. Have you just paused to take consideration of the way that he led you decades ago that has informed who you are today? Danielle and I will celebrate 22 years of marriage. I proposed to Danielle when, she was, when I was 19. She was 20. After my sophomore year in college, you know what that means? That means that we've grown up together for all practical purposes. It means that we had a lot of decisions to make because we got married early. We became very intimate with the inside of U-Hauls because there were a lot of decisions that were made in those early years of life that we did together. And I would not trade a single day for the way that God has, has just richly blessed. And I'm grateful every day that I have the privilege, and so many of you could say this, of just you get to marry someone that you love and grow up with, and God opens those doors. I wouldn't trade it for anything. We've had to make decisions early on in our marriage, what teaching position she would take, who she would interview with, who she wouldn't interview with, where we'd live. I had to make decisions about where we'd move to, to do a Master of Divinity. And you know what we did? We got, in a, we got in this old 1985 Ford Thunderbird that I had. And we drove to Birmingham, Alabama. And we went to Beeson Divinity School. And we walked around the campus. And we went to other s- seminary campuses. And we walked around the campus. And we prayed. We sought wise counsel. And, and we, we submitted ourselves to the Word. And, and God opened doors for us to study 20 years ago right down the road at Sanford University at Beeson. And I could see how God orchestrated those, those paths for us to be able to study there. And he orchestrated paths for her to be a teacher in, uh, while we were living here. And I could see as we came to another fork in the road and we said, God, we want to continue school and we got to apply for PhD programs. And you, you send out applications to three different programs and you test and approve. You see which ones come back and say, sorry, you are not accepted into this program. And, and yes, we're glad that you're coming. And we everybody test and approve. Well, if we move here it's going to cost us this amount and we move here and we saw how God just opened the door and we moved to New Orleans again with a U-Haul and we prayed God uh, my, my heart is to shepherd we we knew that and God opened up doors and he opened up a door for me to be a pastor at the age of 23 and we can look back and just see how God was weaving we didn't even know he was doing that and we imperfectly followed his leadership I'm a hundred percent sure of that But I can see, as I have the great privilege to stand before you now, and for the last four years this summer, I've had the privilege and the pleasure to serve here along with a wonderful staff and wonderful people here at Dawson. I can see how God was orchestrating this path. And I never knew it, but over 20 years ago, when I was a student at Beeson Divinity School, Danielle and I sat in the balcony here at Dawson. I never imagined that gazillion years that I would stand here and I can assure you this you wouldn't have either if you'd have known me sitting in the balcony uh, that would not have been yeah that, that would, uh, you could have called Dr. Phil Kimry and told him no that's not going to work that's not going to work as he was the chairperson of the pastor search team but I can just see how God was weaving and he was moving and he was leading and I can look back and just say thank you God for your faithfulness and guiding, and leading. The question isn't, does God desire to guide you? The question is, do you desire to be led? 
Do you desire to be led when it moves you, when it stretches you, when it makes you uncomfortable, when it makes you take a step and you can't quite see where you're going to land? He's the God who desires to lead. Will we, church, be found faithful as he leads us, as we seek his way in his word, we seek his way in prayer, and we seek his way in community? Let us pray.